Well, who's looking forward to this month, uh, the Revolutionary Series? You should be. Uh, it's going to be, uh, uh, well, hopefully, hopefully it's nothing less than revolutionary. Uh, otherwise, it'll be a bit of a disappointment. But uh, we're asking the question uh, this month, just a simple question across uh, five Sundays and five midweek gatherings. We're asking the simple question, uh, can one person really change the world? And uh, if you look at different sorts of studies of history and circumstances and situations, uh, there's multiple different answers to that question. But we're really asking the question from the perspective, can one person, can, can one person you, can one person me, can we really make a difference in the world around us? So I'm excited to preach about it on Sundays, but I'm also excited to get together with a small group during the week and... Um, and discuss various different ideas. There's sort of five topics we're discussing and really building up to just an awesome opportunity to do something to try and change the world by the end of the five weeks, which would be cool. Don't you reckon? I reckon it's going to be good fun. So we are looking for people, still looking for people to host uh, those e-groups. So obviously because we can't gather in small groups unless someone's prepared to... Uh, you know, to open their house up or to organize it. You um, You know, I could organize it all. In theory, in theory, I could organize it all. But what we want to do is we just want, uh, as a group of people, we want to say, a bunch of people put their hand up and say, yeah, I'll host a group. I'll get people together uh, in my house or somewhere else. And a service snack is what you have to do. You have to open your home, service snack, and you have to turn on the video. Uh, and then, you know, there's a few questions. There's a study guide. And all the information's on the resource table at the back. And uh, so we're really encouraging people to do that. It's exciting having people hosting groups for the first time this month, which would be awesome fun. I really reckon you will enjoy it. Very good. Very good. Well, it is university. How many people know it's the start of university soon? Do you know how I know? I know it that it is because the other day I was jogging and there was three people uh, with a shopping trolley a long way from a supermarket. They were a long way from a supermarket. And I was jogging along and thinking, there's people, there's three people a long way from a supermarket with a shopping trolley. It must be university student time soon. Um, it, put, I, I, it really stood out to me because I noticed what they had on, on their trolley. Not, there was nothing in the trolley. On the trolley was like a queen-size bed, base, and mattress. <laughs> and I thought, yes, if you're shifting house, there's one way to do it. Uh, there's one way to do it. You get yourself a shopping trolley. Uh, and throw it on, and uh, you know, I, I managed. I was probably watching them for about thirty seconds. They were coming up the road. I was going down the road, and we passed. And in that thirty seconds, the bed, base, and mattress did fall off to the left, and they got it back on and fell off to the right. They got it back on, and the trolley tipped over. And I thought, these people, these are the leaders of the future. I thought to myself, <laughs> I thought the nation is a good hands with problem solvers like that out there. Eh? People who are confronted with a situation can come up with. Uh, I was going to say a solution, but um, they can come up with, they can come up with thump something. Yeah, 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 something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, um, I was at hospital. Not my, I took my son to hospital on Friday night, and I was there till 3 a.m., and that was good because he got to sleep on the little bed thing, and I got to sit in a chair. Uh, and, uh, and then, uh, so now I'm not feeling 100% today because how many of you know once you're old, i.e. over 30, um, 3 a.m. is not, that you never want to see that clock on your watch. It's not, it's not the right time. Uh, anyhow, but um, if you've got your Bibles, why don't you grab your Bible and grab a notebook and, and we'll write some stuff down. I'm going to attempt to find some notes, which I've got saved in three or four different places in multiple different formats. Um, but I'm not, today for some reason, I'm not able to get my iPad to talk to my phone or to my computer or to the internet. Um, so, but it's okay because I've got my draft notes here, and I find that when I preach from the draft notes, the sermon's often better. Uh, anyhow, but we'll we'll get there. Is that all right? 
Um, have you ever been frustrated? Um, I don't know um, if you've ever been frustrated. I imagine it's a pretty universal human experience frustration. I don't know what makes you frustrated. For me, one of the, one of the most frustrating things is running late. Uh, you know when you're running late for something important and it's frustrating. Uh, you're trying to catch. Uh, the other day I was on. Um, I had to get up early and then catch a plane. It was a while ago, actually, not the other day. But I had to get up early to catch a shuttle from the place I was staying, like a little bus thing. And then I had to get from there to the airport. Then I had to get onto the plane, right? Which is pretty straightforward, except at 5 a.m. nothing is straightforward. And um, I had that that whole that frustrated. Not, not. I wasn't really running late. I just woke up feeling like. I'm running late. Anyway, I fell asleep. I got to the plane and I fell asleep on the plane, which I often do just before takeoff because, the, you know, the engines are a bit noisy. And, you know. and so I fell asleep. But then as the plane started moving into takeoff, I suddenly woke up thinking that I was still, I'd fallen asleep on the shuttle bus. Uh, and so I was like, screamed out, you know, and uh, grabbed the person next to me and uh, ran for the door. I don't know. But, you know, life's full of those frustrating moments. I have this recurring dream. When I have dreams, I don't see anything. I just feel things. Anyone like that? Yeah, yeah. It's, not, it's quite normal, isn't it, Emma? Yeah, yeah. Among a group of about 140 people, it's quite normal. A large percentage of people. Most, uh, it's a sign of real intelligence. Anyway, uh, I, one of those things is, is, is when you're, you're, you're running late for a plane or you're running late for a Planes are the nervous thing because you know that if you miss the bus, there's another bus. But when you miss the plane, they, you're going to have to pay again. It's crazy, isn't it, really? If you, imagine, if you, if, imagine if they did that for buses. Oh, you missed your bus, you're going to have to rebook uh, and pay again. Uh, but anyhow, and you're rushing for the plane. In my recurring dream, you're rushing for the plane, but you can't actually move. But inside, you're rushing. Uh, and uh, and um, that, that sense of frustration is real. But what about, I'm um, sorry, I'm just going to finish my strips all. It's all good. It's gone now. The, um, you can get frustrated with all sorts of things. People get frustrated with other people's driving, you know, people who change lanes. Um, my dad indicates around a curve, but then changes lanes without indicating. Uh, you know, and, and maybe it's a generational thing because other people, of, you know, in the 60s do the same sort of maneuvers. Um, it's probably because they grew up driving when there was only five cars in New Zealand. Um, what about, some people get frustrated by untidy lawns. I've got a friend who doesn't like to visit because our lawns are always untidy and they frustrate uh, him, uh, frustrating lawns. Um, then um, I get really frustrated, you know when you go to the shops, I hate, I really, no I don't hate the, I don't hate the shop, no I do, I hate shops. When you go there and the, and the prices, they don't have prices on the stock, so you're looking at something and there's no prices on it. Right? There's no, there's no prices on it at all. And the reason it's so frustrating is now you're going to have to talk to a person. Uh, but it's frustrating because you want to go in there and all you want to do is compare prices, but instead you have to engage in a sales conversation. Uh, and that, I don't know, that's frustrating. But there's this other type of frustration where it's not just about frustrating things that happen. There's also the frustration that happens uh, when, you, when, when it's actually you are just frustrated. Right, And now, it's not a frustrating thing, it's just you're just looking for somewhere to put your frustration for the moment. So you're carrying frustration around with you and just looking for somewhere to put it, you know? So you might get frustrated at someone else's haircut. So Abraham, for instance, you get, you know, he's got a haircut and you're just like, that's a terrible haircut. You just put your frustration there. Uh, it's per- <laughs> It's jealousy, Abe. It's jealousy. But, you know, people get frustrated at, at, at things that are not that frustrating, you know. Some people get frustrated that someone in their family puts the toilet roll on the roller with it rolling off the front instead of rolling off the back. See, 
Don't ever get to that. See, my, my suggestion, I'm not an expert, but my suggestion would be, Rachel, that, uh, that there's, nothing, there's actually no, there's nothing to be frustrated about there except that you are frustrated about something and you're looking for somewhere to park your frustration and, and you're focused on the toilet seat. Is that a problem? It's not an issue, is it? The toilet seat, everyone, the toilet seat is not an issue. Do I get an amen? Some brave men, just a few brave men. But um, <laughs> can I get a whop whop? <laughs> the um, the other question that we, that you think about. So you have got this frustration of frustrating things that happen in life. Then you have got this frustration that happens where actually life is a bit frustrating. Just general life is a bit frustrating. But then things happen in life as well that they're not just frustrating, and it's not just about you. But there's these moments in life that are disturbing. I don't, I don't know if you've ever been disturbed. You know. Uh, maybe the better question is, when was the last t- time you were disturbed? Where something didn't just frustrate you. So frustration is something, you know, someone bumps you. A disturbing thing is where someone pushes you right over. When you're disturbed, if you think about it, it's like, it's like uh, the, the vase on the windowsill. Uh, it's just, when it's disturbed, it falls down. When, when's the last time something in you fell over? When was the last time the vase on your emotional windowsill fell and smashed on the floor? Uh, you know, because it's disturbance like that that's important. Can, the question, can one person really change the world? The reality is one person can't change the world without gauging a little bit of frustration. Without, without being disturbed a bit by what's going on in the world. As long as we're completely content and calm and we're happy with how things are, as long as our world is all in order or we've at least got the, we've papered over enough of the cracks, as long as we don't actually embrace the challenge of living in the world, then we will never make a difference in the world around us because we'll just be happy with how things are. People who change the world are not happy with how things are. People who change the world have been disturbed. The vase is smashed, and they've decided not to try and tape it back together. Let's have a look at a scripture. This is uh, Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. It's not actually. It's Luke 13, verse 34. But I gave you the cross reference because I had both written down because these are just my draft notes. Uh, Anyway, so... uh, Kimberly's going to throw it up for us and we can read it there, which would be good because, again, I've only got my draft notes and I only have the references. No, okay, it's okay. Don't worry because the technology is on our side here. If, if the worst comes to the worst, I'll get my Bible, actual Bible out. Let's do that. Luke 13, is that what I said? I use my phone as a bookmark. That's all it's good for today. Luke 13, Matthew, Mark, Luke 13, verse 34. Luke 13, 34. It says this in Luke 13, uh, verse 34. uh, Jesus says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. So here's Jesus, and he's, had this, he's having this big argument. He's been talking about the end of the world. Uh, he's been talking about how, how things aren't going to remain the same. And then he's, the idea is that he's looking out at the city, and he's calling out to us, and he says this, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Now, this is God who's talking. This is the incarnate presence of God in human form. And he says out over the city of God, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the Prophets and stones God's messengers. 
Now, if you were Jerusalem and you're overhearing God talking about you in such a way, you should be running for cover at that point, shouldn't you? If God's, God himself is stirred to speak and stirred to shout at you, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets. If someone is, so if you've been out and about killing people over the weekend, uh, and then a policeman just says, Jono, Jono, the person who killed the person, that's your turn to run. That's your cue. That's your moment to turn and run. But, but I love what Jesus says next. I love this passage because it's, it's a surprise. You know when the angels come down from heaven? And, and, and they're announcing the good news of Jesus. And the angels come down from heaven and they're announcing that God himself has turned up. You know, like when, you know when you're, in, you're in at school and, the, and in the olden days at school, you might, if you're a young person, you might find this hard to believe. In the olden days at school, the teachers used to leave the classroom all the time. How many people know that? And there's someone, I don't know who someone would always stand up and someone would suddenly be in charge. All right, and so there'd be games and jokes, they'd be running around, things would be thrown, and then someone's job was always to look out the window. And it'd be like, she's coming! And everyone's back to their desks, you know, and, and you know, obviously the teachers had to get a cup of tea or whatever, but nowadays I think they do better supervision. But imagine, imagine a sinful world, and someone's looking out, God's coming! God's coming, and the angels turn up, and what do the angels say? They say, good news! Oh, hold on. I bring you good news, glad tidings, good news. That God, God of peace has arrived. And this is Jesus. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and destroys God's messengers. Look at this, what he says. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Isn't that crazy? How what's God himself, Jesus, this this messenger of God, not the awesome, not a messenger of God, but God Himself coming as the message of God. He's coming to die for humanity, to die in our place, to pay the price of his sin. And there's not just frustration there, there's this disturbance that says, Jerusalem, this is a city of God, but destroys the prophets of God. But what's his heartbeat? How long have, how I've longed to gather you and protect you and shelter you, but you were not. Willing. See, I reckon that's a crazy thought, that Jesus wasn't motivated by purpose. He know, how many of you know Jesus had a purpose? But in this scripture, we see his motivation isn't to bring judgment or anger, but there is judgment and anger there. But his motivation is a broken heart. Later on in the epistles, Paul says that for the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross. Not, not just the purposes of God and the plan of God, like Jesus is some cold-hearted uh, sort of special, opera, special operations uh, process from heaven. He's coming to get the job done. No, Jesus here is motivated by a broken heart for the people of God. His longing isn't to bring judgment or just bring purpose or just teach them how it is, but his longing is to gather people. I, I suggest that this is a moment where Jesus is disturbed. We see that actually in the heart of God, the vase is broken and the shards are broken. And Jesus bled for people. He didn't just bleed for people on the cross. He's bleeding for the city of God. Here in this passage, in his heart, we can see a brokenness for the people of God. Amen. Jump across in your Bibles, if you can, Ezekiel chapter 36. And this is like a, a prophecy from, I guess, uh, hundreds Maybe a thousand years before Jesus. It would be at least a thousand years, actually. Ezekiel chapter 36. And I'm going to read from about verse 24, I think. It says this. Oh, it's probably up there. 
There it is. I'll read it from the big screens. It says, I, I will take <coughs> out of you, take you out of the nations, and I'll gather you from all the countries, and I'll bring you back into your own land. And now, that's a prophecy of Ezekiel's, and it's got two, there's two points of impact for it in history. Number one is the gathering of the nation of Israel again back as one uh, people in a homeland. And secondly, it's it, that when the the prophecies of Ezekiel and Isaiah refer to all the nations. It's talking about the gathering of, of non-Jewish people into God's church, that God makes a nation of us, right? I'll take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries. So we're talking about the power and the purpose and the plan of the gospel working through all countries and all the nations. I'll bring you back into your own land. Verse 25 says, I will sprinkle you clean with water, with sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from your impurities and from all your idols, right? So we know that that's what the, the process of God, the, the sacrifice of Christ washes us from all of our sin, both individually and then God can work even in a community and in a nation to bring purity where things have been broken and destroyed. You with me? Yeah. That's what this prophecy is referring to. The next verse 26 says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Just look at that again, verse 26. I, I will give you a new heart. I will remove from you your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I think the next verse is good too. Do you want to jump to that? And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. How many of you know that God wants us to follow him and keep his laws? But what's the process that God does within us to change us from being people who are rebellious and hard to people who follow his laws is that he removes our heart of stone and puts a heart of flesh in us. And the other translation says, I'm going to put a responsive heart in you. How many people like that? I reckon that's a cool thought. He's going to make us responsive. Do you know, I've just got, there's two ways that we can have a hard heart. I don't know, Kimmy, are you able to put that up? The hard heart, but all right, don't worry. I've got it written down here. It's all good. There's, there's two ways we can have a heart. So a stony heart, number one, a stony heart looks like this, right? A stony heart says to God, I don't care about my sins. See, everyone knows they fall short because you feel it. But a stony heart says, I don't care about my sins. My falling short of your standard. Your standards are too high and I can never achieve them. And I don't even think you can really make a difference in my life or in the world. Except late at night when it's really dark, I'm confronted with my own sin. And I realize that my attempt at freedom and wildlife will never bridge the gap in my heart. You're too hard. You don't care about me, so I don't care about you. The gap in my heart. You're too hard. Oh, cut and paste, major cut and paste drama. But do you see that? That's a stony heart, isn't it? And, and so often when you think of, if you think about sin and the stony heart of sin, is the stony heart of sin says to God, I, I don't care about your standard. Your standard is hard, too hard, and I'm, it's too hard for me to meet your standard. And I, I, except somewhere deep inside of us, even when we're in that space of rebellion, we know that our attempt at freedom is never going to get us there. Right? We, but we will never ever say that to another person. That, oh, I've been trying to get to freedom, but alcohol is not actually getting me free. Right? People come at various points in their life. Some people are just a long, slow learners, right? 
But other people learn quick that, man, that's not going to get me the freedom that I think it's going to get me, right? Um, you're too hard. And I don't care. You don't care about me, so I don't care about you. That's stony heart number one. But listen to stony heart number two. It's quite similar. The guys will throw it up as well. And it says this. It says, stony heart two says to God, I don't care about their sins. They're falling short of your standard. Your standards are too high and they could never achieve them. And I don't think you really can make a difference in their lives or in the world, except late at night when it's really dark and I'm confronted with my own sin and realize that my high standards and religious efforts will never bridge the gap in my heart. You're too hard and you don't care about me, so I don't care about you. See, sometimes we think because we've got religious standards or religious education in our world, sometimes we think we've got it all together. But our judgments of other people are come from that same stony heart. We've still got that stony heart. We're not soft and responsive to God. I don't know how many times I've read things on the internet when I've just thought, man, this is a person who just hates people. You know, people writing about the way the world is going. The world is going, the world's going to hell. Right, right, right. And they may, these things may be true, but the reality is there's not coming from them the same heart that Jesus had, where he's saying, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, a city of great sin. Is there a more dangerous thing to do than stone the prophets of God? Is there a more offensive thing to do to God than God's attempts to reach out in humanity, kill the prophets, kill the messenger? There's nothing more offensive, but Jesus says, my heart is to gather you and protect you know God wants to change the heart of the church from a stony heart that's the process of God he's changing our heart from a stony heart to a soft and responsive heart and it doesn't look like religious perfection religious perfection looks more like a stony heart than a soft and responsive heart but a soft and responsive heart is what allows us to be in a position where we can obey God right Sometimes we think, I've just got to try harder. Your trying harder will not make a difference. It won't. 38 years of trying hard. It doesn't help. If your trying hard could make a difference, why did Jesus die? Why did Jesus die? Why did he come? Why wouldn't he just send another message saying, try harder? But he didn't say that. He comes in and he says, you destroy the message of God. When God speaks to you, you stone it to death. Obviously, we would never kill a living prophet, but sometimes I do hear a really good sermon that cuts right to the heart, and then I have to do something like quickly get out to the morning tea and forget about it quickly enough so that that little prophet that's got into my head can die before I have to face up to my reality. We treat God like that all the time. We are Jerusalem, 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 the church, the church. Come on, you keep not hearing me talk to you. Jesus is saying, I want to gather you. I want to draw you close. I want to change your heart from hard heart to a soft and responsive heart. Amen? Very, very good. The problem is this. Number one, if you have a heart, You have to care. If you have a heart, you have to care. Now, I was, I was watching the cricket yesterday, and it was one of those epic games of cricket. And I listened to the first half on the radio, the first uh, episode, 
innings. <laughs> the first innings on the radio, and I was like, um, Dougal and Rachel invited us over for dinner. I said, oh, we'll come over and watch the cricket at least. Uh, and, uh, and we raced around and watched the second innings, because I was like, man, I've got to see this Australian bloodbath for real. Do you know what I mean? And the game completely turns on its head in a few bowls, and then you've got this that moment at the end, and, and, and everyone, Chrissy's there watching, you know, it's, it's, a, you know, it's a big game of cricket if Christine's going to look at it for any length of time, right? Uh, the kids are w- wondering what's going on, and this moment where we're one wicket away from the biggest choke ever, right? We're one wicket away from the biggest choke ever. And, and um, obviously, Kane Williamson just steps up, and Ian Smith calls it, Kane Williamson will just hit a six. He'll just hit a six, and me and Dougal are like, no, he just needs to play it safe and win the game. And Kane Williamson just hits it, bam, six runs, and all the drama's over. <laughs> Finished. And then uh, in the interview afterwards, he's clearly embarrassed about the reckless shot uh, that he played at the end to win the game. But the, the reality is we're not on the end of, edge of our seat watching the cricket. We're only on the edge of our seat watching the cricket if we have a heart for cricket. You know, other people are like, half of you are like, Kane, what? The who? Who cares, right? But the, real, the reality is if you have a heart for something, you have to care about it. My, my, um, my mum's dad, Wallace Greenwood, I used to have to go round to his house and on the doctor's orders we had to set the video recorder to record the All Blacks and then he would go off for a walk down the beach or uh, read the newspaper or whatever and then after the game he would find out the score on the radio and once he knew the score it was now safe for him to watch the game. Right, but the doctor decided that it wasn't a safe thing for him to watch a test match without knowing what the outcome was. Why? Because he had a heart for the game. He also had uh, high blood pressure. But the the reality is, if if we're gonna if we're gonna change the world, we have to have a heart. If God's gonna, but the reality is, if God's gonna take out our stony heart and put in a soft and responsive heart, do you know what that means? It means you have a soft and responsive heart. And you know what that means is when you see sad things, you feel sad. When you see happy things, you feel happy. Do you know it's a lot easier to live with your stony religious heart or your stony sinful heart where maybe happy things don't make you feel that happy. You can come and sing, this is our time, this is our place, this is our moment to lift your name. Maybe, maybe... Maybe if you've got your stony religious heart, your stony sinful heart, do you know life is easier? You can, you can see sad things and not feel sad. You can see happy things and not feel happy. That's a bit of a shame, but it's worth it for the comfort. It's worth it for a nice, even life. It's worth it so that you can get through your life without anything actually demanding from you. But see, once you have a soft and responsive heart, you can't just, just judge people. You have to gather them in. You can't just say, oh, those people will never hear God. You have to say, man, I long to draw you close. I long for you to be part of the plan of God, part of the heart of God, part of the love of God. See, it's a problem when God puts a soft heart in us because now we have a soft heart. You know what's way better than a soft heart? A really hard heart. Way easier to manage. Uh, Do you know, uh, having a heart is, when you have a heart, it's a problem because if you, God, I'm just going to get my points in the right order because I reordered them. Uh, if you have a heart, it hurts. You know, I asked the question, when was the last time you were disturbed? When was the last time you were disturbed? Not frustrated, but disturbed. Where something got you, actually got you in the guts. Did you know yesterday it happened for me? 
we were sitting in the car waiting for Elliot's drum lesson to finish. Well, we actually were. We were waiting for Elliot's drum lesson to finish and then for his long conversation with the drum teacher after the lesson to finish as well. The lesson is half an hour. The conversation can also add another half an hour. So we were in the car, me and, me and Austin and Lucia and, um, and Maddie were waiting for Elliot. And um, Maddie was just passing time. She got her phone and she's just playing that song, Dumb Ways to Die which is uh, it's, it's a hilarious song. It's dumb ways to die. Dumb. How many people have heard it? Google it if you haven't heard it. It's good. It's quite a funny song, and it's got really funny animation. But what it's actually a Sydney Trains promotion, and the last little bit is, you know, it's about crossing the tracks or standing too close to the platform. These are all dumb ways to die. And, does, and the, the song suddenly stops rhyming and being hilarious, and it's like, it's about you're, you're an idiot because you keep running across the tracks to save a bit of time. But uh, the thing that disturbed me wasn't the song, wasn't the animation, or anything like that. It's just that there's one line in it where it talks about a, a dumb way to die is playing hide and seek in a clothes dryer. And the only reason that disturbs me is, is because, you know, not that many years ago, you know, I can't drive, I know where that house is in Rotorua. I can't drive down that strip past the airport, that little suburb on the hill, without feeling the same, without the vase smashing all over again. And you know, f- since that happened, that little story of that little girl has, has driven me to say, no, we've got to see as many teenagers as possible put their hand up we've got to, to we've got to get into every single school in every town for the revolution tour we have to because there's nothing you can do for 30 year olds who beat up their kids but you can find the kids who got beaten up and the hope of God can meet them you can find the kids who haven't had kids yet and the hope of God can meet them it disturbed me so much 10 years ago and then just that one line straight away I'm back in that moment the vase is broken and we can keep taping it up but I think a true Christian carries the broken pieces in their bleeding hands and says the world's not supposed to be like this it's not supposed to be like that for a three-year-old girl it's not supposed to be like that for her mum it's not you're just not supposed to family's just not supposed to smell like that look like that act like that that's not the way the world's designed it's not the way the world is staying and we've got to be disturbed enough that we can't live any longer with our stony heart. We've got to say, no, come on, God, you must do something. Every year, the Revolution Tour spends three, we spend at least $300,000 in two weeks. Every single year, every single year for the last six years, there's been at least one, sometimes there's three or four testimonies of teenagers who were going to kill themselves that day. But they didn't. They came to the concert and God spoke to them. In, in Gisborne, two years ago, th- there was a girl who had 280 Panadol with her and her razor blades. But God spoke to her. There was a guy who the police actually came and got him from the concert because he was breaking parole to be out. The next day, he was, put, he was supposed to go to a youth justice facility in Rotorua, but he didn't. He went to Auckland because Rotorua was full. Reggie prayed from right at the end of the concert in Gisborne and said, God, he said, I'm going, they're, they're going, I'm going, I'm being arrested, they're going, to, I'm going to prison. And Reggie prayed this, as I talked to Reggie about it the next day, he prayed this, God, put this kid surrounded with people who can help him. 
That kid gets to Youth Justice North in Whittier in South Auckland. He walks into his classroom and his teacher was wearing the Revolution Tour t-shirt. Why? Because all of the teachers at Youth Justice North go to Equippers Church Auckland because we have the contract doing all of the education. Reggie didn't know that. The kid didn't know that. But God knew that he needed Rotorua full so that this could go from the concert at Revolution Tour in Gisborne straight into our full-time discipleship program that the government pays for the next day. Do you want a job working in that center? No. Are you happy that some of your brothers and sisters in Christ are brave enough to do it? Yes. Is it a tough place to work? Yes. Do you know what happened? Lots of our staff that were working there keep getting their cars broken into. What makes sense, doesn't it? You work at a prison. Except that all the prisons are locked up. So the new cameras are installed in the car park and then they, and they managed to capture, capture a lot of the people who work at the prison breaking into our teachers' cars. Right? Is it a tough place to work? It's a tough place to work. Right? But here's people who are disturbed enough to say, come on, we've got to do something about it. Do you know the whole CLS program, there's, a, there's something like, um, across the year, there's hundreds and hundreds more, but on any given day, there's about 380 to 400 of New They are New Zealand's highest risk teenagers. So they're all of, all of the kids in Auckland who can't get into school because they've got kicked out or they just won't go to school. All of those kids in Auckland, the whole of Auckland City, all of the kids in Youth Justice North, which is the biggest youth justice facility, all of them are being taught Monday to Friday, every single day of the week by youth leaders of Equipus Church Auckland. They do the teaching. They are their teachers. It's because, um, again, 15 years ago, Simone Graham watched Once Were Warriors. And the one scene in Once Were Warriors was, that affected her most was when, when the, 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 the girl who was having all those issues was just walking Queen Street just crying and people were just walking past her. Just that captured her and she, and she realized, I mean, there's kids in our youth group whose lives are like that. And the next day, Monday, she said, uh, she went to Pastor Bruce and said, I need budget, I need to run a program Monday to Friday for all of our youth kids who aren't in school. It was illegal to do it at the start because obviously if you're under 16, you have to be in school. And if you're running an education program in the basement of your church, she invented this thing called AE. She invented it. A couple of other groups were starting at similar times. But she invented it. It wasn't like, hey, that's a cool program we could run in our church. Something disturbed her. And instead of just taping the vase back up, oh, no, we'll pull it back together. She responded to what God was saying. She was disturbed. See, if you have a heart, you have to have a heart. You have to care. If you have a heart, life hurts. It really hurts. Life hurts if you have a heart. If you've got a stony heart, it's all right, because life doesn't hurt. Uh, if you have a heart, we'll hear you. If, if you have a heart, you, you'll make some noise. Jesus says that out of the overflow of the, he's quoting Proverbs 4, but he says, out of the overflow of the heart, your mouth speaks. You know, the people who spend the most time with you, they know what you care about or they know you don't care about anything. Ah, that was, that was not in my notes. I just made it up then. That's pretty hard. <laughs> Jesus said, the good person out of the good treasure of their heart bring forth good things. And the evil person out of the evil treasure of their heart bring forth evil things. And, you know, 
that's always been quoted to me by Sunday school teachers and my parents as a, a reason why swearing is so bad because it proves that you're an evil person. <laughs> and I don't think they were the exact words, but that was the message I got. But I think Jesus is talking about more than just, you know, do you say swear words or not? I think he's talking about what flows out of your, what flows out of your heart. What flows out of your life? What, you know, Jesus is standing up looking at Jerusalem. What does he say? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, city that destroys the prophets. And then what flows out of his mouth, out of his heart is how I've longed to gather you. Do you know, you know, you'll make some noise when you have a heart. You know, we've got an ambition as a church, a, a growing ambition as a church, that as a church we could bless Every family in our city. We could bless every family in our city. Why? Because that's actually the purpose of the gospel. When the gospel was first discussed, when God first talked about his involvement with human beings, he was talking to who? Abraham. And what does he say to Abraham? I'll bless you and I'll multiply you. And we're part of the multiplication of Abraham. Father Abraham and many sons. Do we need to go right back to there? Many sons. We are the children of Abraham because we're the children of his promise, right? And what does God say to Abraham right at the start, 6,000 years ago in Mesopotamia? He says, every family on earth will be blessed through you. Yeah, we want to, we're here to make disciples and to extend the kingdom. But our first call is to be a blessing to every family in our city. And that's going to, flex, it's going to come out of our hearts or else it's not, depending on whether we're allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us and give us a soft heart. Uh, point number four, if you've been taking notes, we're up to number four. I'll tell you what the other points were. Uh, if you have a heart, uh, you care. If you have a heart, life hurts. If you have a heart, we'll hear you. And number four... If you have a heart, you can fail. If you don't have a heart, you simply will never fail. When, um, when David gets to the battlefield in the Valley of, the valley of Elah, uh, the, the Philistines are there and, and the Israelites are there, there's only one person in, in the Israelite army who could fail. There was only one person who could have been killed by Goliath. It wasn't, it wasn't King Saul. King Saul's in his tent. King Saul is wearing armor. King Saul is waiting for someone else to go to battle. King Saul has a hard and stony heart, but he's perfectly safe in the camp. It was only David who had any possibility of being killed by Goliath. Why, did, why could David have been killed by Goliath? Because David ran at Goliath. Before he ran at Goliath, he shouted abuse at Goliath. Right? This is, if you do want, if there's someone really big and you want them to hurt you, this is a really simple recipe. Right? From a distance, you abuse their, them, them to their face, and then you abuse their family, and then you threaten them and their extended family that you're going to feed their carcasses to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Um, that's generally speaking. There's other ways to make people hurt you, um, but that's one really good way to do it. Uh, but if you don't want someone to hurt you, you just stay in your tent, and you wear your armor, and you trust in the position that life has put you in. I'm the king. I can sit in my tent. And we can live in a middle class little tent with our, with our Christian armor on, forgetting what armor is supposed to be for. Armor's never, armor's never, armor's defensive, but it's not defensive as in hide away wearing your armor. 
is supposed to protect you in attack. David's older brothers, David's older brothers, they never ran the risk. They never ran the risk of failing. They were never going to fail at beating Goliath because they were never going to attack Goliath. What they did, though, was they had a blog. They, David's older brothers had a blog, olderbrothers.wordpress.com. And from a distance, they criticized David. Uh, who do you think you are? You're just here. You're just a show off. You just think you're a big shot. Uh, you, you just need to shut up. Uh, why don't you be quiet, right? Um, at, least, at least half of what you read about the church on the internet, more than half of it, is from David's older brothers. Nah, 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 there's people that prosperity gospel this. Blah, 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 blah. It's actually just a whole lot of bullcrap. Come on, what's the church? What are we as a church? What are we, you know, we meet here in this building. Why? Because we're friends. What do friends do? Friends get together and praise God together. Right? And it's way less awkward if we have a band. Right. Oh, man, I'm happy singing just by myself, but you won't be as happy. Right? And we get a team to look after the kids, right? So that there's something awesome for them to make friends, for them to learn about Jesus in a way that matches their needs. Right? Well, it's not an organization. This isn't even an organization. This is, just, this is just a slightly larger party than you can have in your own house. You can have a party this big in your house, but it's messy. <laughs> right? But what have we got on the internet? The church, this, the church, that. Man, the, the, the church is people doing their best to reach out to the world, doing their best to be faithful to each other, doing their best to encourage each other to grow in the God. And what have you got? You've got small-minded people with terrible language skills even, some of them badly proofread, writing on the internet, right? Why don't they shut up? Really, they should shut up. I have been making comments on some blogs. Shut up. Shut the hell up. Uh, shut the, no. I've got standards because out of the good treasure of my good heart. But that's a good word for some of these people. Shut up. Go away. Turn your blog off. Amen? Amen. And amen. But come on, you're never going to get hurt unless you start shouting at your challenges. We're never going to get hurt unless we start shouting at the things that are assailing our nation. Did you know... Since we've been running the revolution tour, youth suicide has dropped in New Zealand. And I looked at the numbers. Youth suicide is a massive issue in New Zealand. But I looked at the numbers. And I'm not taking all the credit. People like Dougal have done a lot of work as well. (laughs) But I'm taking most of the credit. But, But every year, one or two kids didn't kill themselves that day. Do you know that is enough to swing the statistics right around? Just those moments in the concerts where people made the decision, oh, I'm going to hold on. But, you know, but the revolution tour could fail. But, but sitting around doing nothing won't fail. We, we may fail in our attempt to bless every family in our city, but it wouldn't be awesome to fail at attempting that. That would be an awesome thing to fail at. Well, we tried to bless every family, but we only managed to bless 10,000 families. Would that, that would be an awesome fail mark, right? Wouldn't that be an awesome fail? Out of 200,000 uh, families, we only managed to bless 10,000, right? 
uh, you know, sent, we'd be sent back to resubmit. Next year, you have to resubmit that and have another go and see if we can and reach 15 families and, and be a blessing. You know, just um, Rachel sent an email to a bunch of people during the week, just a few ideas for Mother's Day. And in the past as a church for Mother's Day, we've done things like we have a photo booth and so mums can finally get a decent looking photo of some of their children at the same time. Um, and one of the things we did for Mother's Day a while ago is we had a video booth uh, where people were going into the, into the, the, the just video, we're just videoing people and just talking about your mum because people you know, can talk a bit better on the camera, right? And then what we do is we just emailed those back to people so they could just forward them on to their mum. It was, I don't know, someone's cool idea. But one of the cool ones was Xander's mum. When she was going through his email account, she found his video. So I think some months after he'd passed away, she finds this video of Xander just saying how much he loved her, how awesome she was. And I thought, that's cool, isn't it? That was probably worth all those efforts across Mother's Day. But just, just on the emails that went around, just meant the ideas that people have had. Oh, we could make, we could make gift packs and then find people to give them to. You know, and then Caroline's got a contact who works at the women's prison. We could take Mother's Day gift packs there. I had the idea we could, we could find all the people in every supermarket, who all the mums who are working on Mother's Day. We could just go to the checkouts and give them gift packs. See, that would be a cool way to bless families in our city. But, it, man, can you imagine going to the supermarket and the supermarket manager going, no, get away. Oh, man, it's scary. But come on, we've got to have a heart. We've got to have a heart. We've got to reach out. Amen? If you have a heart, you care. If you have a heart, life does hurt. If, if you have a heart, you run the risk of failing. And if you have a heart, we'll hear you. Um, cool. Can I just get the musicians up? We're just going to pray. And uh, I really believe that God wants to do something in amongst us. Amen? Thank you for the overwhelming amen. I, I really believe that God wants to do something in our hearts across these next five weeks. And I... I I really feel this morning, I'm just, all I'm wanting to do, all I feel that like God wants to do is actually provoke us to say, oh, come on, there is a whole nother way we could live our life. There's a whole nother way. One of the heroes that we're, we're using a little bit in the, just we've got some real simple promotion things we're using on our social media is, this is a picture of Mother Teresa and a great quote from her which says, you know, we, we, don't, have, we don't have the past and it's, that's gone and the future is yet to be. We only have now, so she's her thing is just let us begin. And um, I've just I've always been inspired by Mother Teresa, partly because it's, she's in my lifetime she's been sort of an ever-present idea. But um, if you read a little bit about Mother Teresa, she's a, an interesting, interesting person. And uh, she was a school teacher. She's from uh, Macedonia, sort of near Greece. And. and um, She's a very small woman, and uh, she had this desire to do something, and so she trained as a school teacher, and then she went to India and taught in a Catholic school. She's a, a Catholic woman. She taught in a Catholic school, and, and was obviously making a difference in the lives of her students, but she was confronted by all of the needs around her on the street. And see, I'd always thought that she was a nun, and she was just doing what nuns do, you know, helping people and stuff. So that's what I that's my limited understanding of the Catholic Church. Nuns help people. But she wasn't, she was a school teacher. And but she was confronted by all of the brokenness in the world around her and was a little bit embarrassed by the church's lack of impact in the amongst the very needy. 
part of that was cultural within India. Part of it was just hierarchical within the church. So she, what she did is she just quit her job and just started helping people who were dying. It wasn't a structure. It wasn't a church idea. It was just one woman. And there was a structure and a whole church idea developed around her. That's what I've always known is that, that the order of the Sisters of Mercy or whatever, whoever they are, the order of the Sisters of Compassion. Anyway, she has an order. I need to perhaps read more closely. Right, I'll write some notes down. But, but, but all she's, she, what she did is no different to what Simone did. Seeing a need, reaching out as an individual with, with the church supporting and the, and the church has come behind her and Christians all over the world, well, people all around the world have supported financially and served in their order. But it's an, the overwhelming thing for me is that here's an ordinary person and what she did was quit her job and help people. I think that's awesome, isn't it? That's someone with a heart. Come on, let's pray. That was a long introduction to a prayer, but anyway, let's pray. God, we just thank you so much for your presence.